All right, Father Jonathan, welcome to a new year. How's it going, Deacon David? Pretty good, man. So we're in the last week of, as we record this, we're in the last week of Ordinary Time, and we're getting ready for the first Sunday of... Advent! First Sunday of Advent. All right, man. So... That's right. It's purple you could time. Say, you could say that we're getting ready to get ready for <laughs> Christmas. Yeah, you know, that's been the... the um, oh, what do you call it? The uh, thesis statement um, for a lot of my homilies <laughs> these past couple of weeks. Because like, I really have been feeling like they are kind of preparing us for Advent. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's, it Absolutely. is kind of a getting ready to get ready for the thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah, I felt that a little bit in the past couple of weeks when I was preaching because the readings became eschatological and a yeah, little bit yeah, apocalyptic yeah, yeah. and started thinking about... I even mentioned it in my homily yesterday for Christ the King and how my own reflections about... I, I focus a little bit on... Most of my homily was focused on the the good thief. Uh-huh. And um, I focus on how I was praying a lot recently in preparation for Advent. I was praying a lot with my own sinfulness. Sure. And so I really identified with the good thief, you know, and I mean, the the sort of summary statement of the whole homily was as Christ is a king, he conquers, but not territory, he conquers hearts. Yeah. And how is it that, you know, the good thief submits to the conquering of this king? Um, right. You know, inviting myself to that kind of reflection for Advent. How am I going to allow myself to be conquered by the King who is all mercy and all love? Um, yeah, I yeah. um, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. I kind of looked at the Christ the King as uh, I even said this in the homily. I was like, this is kind of weird if you think about it that we're celebrating uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe, the week before we begin Advent to prepare for the Nativity. Uh, yeah, and I. I kind of offered this as a suggestion that in our own wonderfully limited humanness, we need like a little bit more than just hold on and wait and see. You know, mm-hmm. Jesus knows that, the church knows that, which is why we have um, Christ the King. Okay, now we're waiting for the coming of the King. So mm-hmm. we know what mm-hmm. we're waiting for, in a sense. Sure, sure, sure. I got to tell you, though, as I mean, just maybe jumping back into the readings for this Sunday. Coming up, I got to tell you though, that's like the one thing that I found missing from this Sunday's readings is any indication uh-huh. that we're getting ready for the nativity. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what your take was, but <laughs> I was taken aback when I was reading these readings for this upcoming Sunday that what was missing was the dimension of Advent preparing me for Christmas. You don't think you that know? was coming in uh, through Romans? Uh, in Romans, well, so it's now the hour for us to wake from sleep. Yeah. The night you know? is advanced, the day is at hand. Yeah. Salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Like there's there's really sure, okay. Maybe this is the <laughs> deeper theological point that the nativity and the second coming are Yeah, exactly. <laughs> are are theologically the same, you know, ex, you know, experience of the coming of Christ. But yeah, I guess I just like for example, we had this reading from Isaiah at the very beginning. Uh-huh. And it's not the reading that we'll have eventually, hopefully, which is you know, a virgin shall conceive, Mm -hmm. you know, he shall be named Emmanuel. Instead, it's, you know, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established, you know, raised above the hills. Um, You know, they shall never, nor nor shall they train for war again. It's all this eschatological stuff. Um, Well, but look at what, look at that end of that, of of that reading from Isaiah. It's that famous, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. This is a transformation that we have to begin. 
Mm-hmm. We're becoming something else, which is why I think this reading from Matthew is so is so great for the first Sunday of Advent. Um, you know, this is the one that a lot of the rapture and um, left behind people will use as their justification for that idea or whatever. Sure, 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 um, sure. They did not know the time, and yeah, then people, people will be will out just in the be field. taken up, and all right. the all the Catholics will be left. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, doing yeah, their own yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But so I preached on. There's the Lucan version of this. What was it last Friday or the Friday before? No, it was last Friday. And um, the the way I took it and the way that I preached about it was saying, look, this isn't just people are magically being lifted up and leaving, you know, the um, separating the wheat from the chaff and leaving all the riffraff behind. Like that's not. That's not a merciful God. <laughs> That's not hmm. what, what, what we know about God. And so how I looked at it was, this is such a change by virtue of our baptism, by our encounter with Christ, that we are changed to such a degree that anybody that knew us before would, would not be able to recognize us. It would be as hmm. if we were taken up and completely hmm. different persons. Yeah, yeah. So, but you, you don't think there's an eschatological dimension where there will be a separation of the wheat from the chaff? I mean, that's also. I mean, yeah, that's sure. the second coming. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's mm-hmm. going to be. Um, I just don't think it's going to be like the rapture fiction. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, sure, sure. Sorry. Sure. <laughs> well, not yeah. I mean, there's something to be said about judgment, and the and I think that is an element of this week's readings is that I think it's it's taking our eyes and looking, you know, to the end times, yeah. you know, like we've been looking at, um, but maybe not so either or in terms of like, well, clearly like everyone that will be left behind, you know, uh, but that God is a judge, right? God is a merciful judge, as we saw with the Christ the King readings, right? Like there's, yeah. you know, there's something there about judgment of those who have repented, you know? Um, right. And there it is, repentance. He's not mm-hmm. just going to judge us by our deeds, otherwise that criminal would not have met Christ in paradise. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's good. So in your mind, it seems like you you preach Advent as both a coming in the manger and a coming at the end of time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it's the incarnation is recognizing, going back to Romans, recognizing the darkness <laughs> of our world mm-hmm. um, and seeing the need of um, of the savior of all mankind mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. rejoicing in that. Hmm. No, that's good. That's good. But you know, like you're mentioning about repentance, you know, you, you kind of said something that maybe you overstated it a little bit. Our actions do matter, right? So absolutely. So like how he says in Romans that make no provisions for the desires of the flesh, you know, conduct yourselves properly. Yeah. Um, I really like that. You know, like there's, what better way to emphasize like the pre- the preparatory nature of the season of Advent than to say, okay, you want to know how to prepare? Well, m- conduct yourselves properly. You yeah. know, put on the armor of light and conduct yourselves as if you were children of the light and not children of darkness. Um, I really like that. Like, I'm a I'm a big fan of emphasizing like the moral aspect of the homily. Of like, I try I try my best to at least have some note in the homily about like reforming my life. And not just like there's an aspect of the homily that's preaching something doctrinal, something mm-hmm. about exegesis of scripture. But I also like there to be some dimension of it that's moral and saying, look, if we're to really commemorate the season of Advent, 
what better way to do so than to reform our life so that in the second coming of Christ, so that yes, we can be ready to celebrate Christmas with a pure heart, but also so we can be ready when the Lord finally comes to not be, well, left behind, as we were saying before. Right, right, like right, right, so, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think this, so this is a, um, this is something that I really struggle with, you know, because we, we look at all sorts of scrupulosity and, you know, how do we, how do we maintain that balance between really believing that God is all merciful and all forgiving and all loving and recognizing sin as at work in our, in our world that we need to be on yeah. guard with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't want, yeah, it's a difficult thing and I don't want to just say it's one or the other, like, Oh, well, no matter what you do, you may be one of the ones that will be left behind. Like mm. that just doesn't sit well with me. No, it nor, doesn't. nor does and, do what you want because God's going to forgive you. That's right. what, um, that's what, what's his face? Um, Jonah struggled <laughs> with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So this is sort of an old theological, you know, debate about, you know, faith and works and justification by faith and justification by works. And I mean, I wouldn't go into that in a homily for sure. No, no, no. At least on the first Sunday of Advent. Um, but I think we are I, given. I think that, Go ahead. <laughs> I think we are given um, a hint, you know, at both, um, well, at what St. Paul is talking about um, and the season of Advent, I think, is about preparing. How are right. we actively working towards being able to open up our hearts to God and saying yes to the Lord rather mm -hmm. than saying, mm -hmm. no, God, I got this. <laughs> Right, because right. that's the person that's going to be left behind, not the person that did X or Y or Z, but the person that says, "Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner." That's the person that will not be left behind. Right. Yeah, yeah. No. So, what? So to go back to your point about God being all merciful, and you know, the whole question about our actions, our works, and whether or not our works matter, I, I think it goes back to that C.S. Lewis quote that you like to bring up. You know. Uh, you know, at the end of time, it's going to be a question not about whether or not, you know, God has infinite judgment against us, but whether or not we're going to want to be with God in paradise at yeah. all, you yeah. know, and we could it's do our desire to deserve salvation. Right. But what we can do is we can cultivate the wrong desire. And I think that's the great thing about that last line from the reading from Romans. Yeah. Make no provisions for the desires of the flesh. Instead, make provisions for desires of the soul in yeah. a sense not to put a strict distinction between the two but to say you know store up treasure in heaven and not on earth because you know your time on earth is limited god yeah. is infinitely merciful but we're not infinitely just in other words we do injustice all the time and in so doing we end up changing our hearts to where we no longer really feel compatible with god yeah and since we don't feel compatible with him when he offers us eternity with him we tend to say no. But you see, those are two different things. That's, that's I think, what I'm struggling with here. Now, living the life, making provisions for the desires for, of the flesh, and taking you know part in all these things that St. Paul lists, end up in closing yourself off from God. That's right. the problem. These things yeah. can be forgiven. That's... Everything that St. Paul lists can be forgiven. Right. Unless... You you don't ask for it unless you yeah, don't I mean, say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
Yeah, the only thing that cannot be forgiven is well, in re- irrepentance. Yeah, I mean, that if right. you're not, I just feel like closing some yourself off. Yeah, f- focus so much on the list of things that I can't do or can do. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. important to cultivate something, but we need to be focused on <laughs> the coming of our Savior mm-hmm. and how yeah. we're going to how we're going to receive that. Right, right, yeah. But I mean, just to highlight again, though, is that. You you will not have the ability to see him in the world if you are a child of darkness. Absolutely, right. Yeah, so, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing so, with that. You know, and so that's the importance of the works themselves. Is that right. yeah, yeah, know, yeah, throw off the works of darkness because the darkness is blinding. Right, it yeah. blinds us where we can no longer recognize the coming of the Lord. So, is is also I think something really beautiful if you think about the imagery of Advent. Advent. You know, this, this long, especially in the Northern Hemisphere, you have this obsession with the imagery of darkness because we're in winter time and everything is dark. And so we have all this lighting of candles, you know, as Christ is the light that comes into the world. Well, there's a great connection there with the reading from Romans is that throw off the darkness by lighting a candle, by mm-hmm. lighting the light of Christ. Um, right. you know, precisely so you can see him when he comes. And I think that that's important thing that you're saying is that it's not about the works themselves, the evil works, the works of, uh, darkness. It's about casting them off, which means turning our gaze towards the Lord. Right? Exactly. So, exactly. And asking for his love. And I think the, the real important piece of the gospel here is that the more that we cultivate works of darkness, the, the less we are able to see, mm-hmm. you know? Um, you know, and I think that's one of the beautiful things about once we get to Christmas day, we have all the candles of the wreath lit up, right? So the, the, that's, that's the brilliance of the mystery of the incarnation is that light has broken into the world for the first time. Yeah. Um, since, since creation. Um, there's a lot you can do there, I guess, you know, with light and darkness, you know, based off of this reading from Romans. Mm-hmm. I guess also at the end of Isaiah's reading, you know, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Right. Right. And there's a lot here with, with light and darkness, you know, the, um, I guess it's not in this reading from the gospel, but, you know, comes as a theme for the night. Oh no, it is. It is here. Yeah, in the hour of night when the when the thief was coming. So mm-hmm. night time and daytime, the day your Lord will come. So I think there's a lot with light and dark in these readings that I would maybe try yeah. to play with. Yeah, yeah. No, I like it a lot, and I think, um, you know, yeah, I think it's just difficult because there's such a oh, how do I say, just this mentality that. Well, I don't know where I'm going with this. All I'm trying to say is um, this is about conversion, yeah. about recognizing who we are as made in the image and likeness of God, God called by Christ the King, preparing for our eternal salvation. And if yeah. we're not actively working towards that, then... Um, right, right. And I think it would be helpful like if you were to go that tack in a homily to really focus in on what does it mean to be converted, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. And the, and for me, the image of turning on the light, you know, and letting the light shine, that's yeah. conversion. In God, know? there is no darkness. How much right, darkness but, is there in us? Yeah. And I think, but the thing is that there's there's an allowing. So the, the Mary sort of allow the Lord, right? The fiat, the, the very passive voice, let the Lord shine rather than like not shine my own light into my darkness, but let the Lord's light shine, right? Yeah. So like... um. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, we're like a, a mirror that refracts the light or a prism mm-hmm. that absorbs yeah. the light of Christ and then does all kinds of neat things with it. 
we're not the, we're sure. not the source. Mm-hmm. How much would you maybe switching gears a little bit? How much would you focus on sort of like the eschatological vision of the New Jerusalem as a place of peace, where the you know the nations will be together, the plowshares, the swords, all that that vision of you know the house of Jacob finally where there will no longer train for war again. Like we haven't really touched on that. We've talked more about the personal like conversion. Yeah. How much would you focus on perhaps like the the image of heaven being the place where the nations come to finally rest in the house of the Lord? Yeah, I pro- I mean, I don't know. I probably wouldn't go that route. Um not because it's bad or anything. I just uh I don't know. Actually, I don't know why I wouldn't go with that. Maybe I would. Well, look at um, look at the look at the responsorial psalm. It's all about you yeah. know, let us go rejoicing to the house, the house of, the of the Lord. Yeah, yeah. You I, know, I shy away from that kind of preaching, and I just I was curious why if you would, you know. Yeah, I think it. Um, so, <clears throat> so I don't know if you remember last year. Um, last year after Christmas, during our formation gathering, I got to preach um, on. What was it? The Feast of the Holy Innocents. Mm-hmm. Um, and I commented that, you know, we've got these string of martyrs <laughs> right after Christmas. Right. Um, recognizing that this is something worth giving our lives for. <laughs> uh, yeah. This yeah. is something worth suffering for. And I get the sense, and I don't know if this is right, but I get the sense that if we're just preaching about let us find ourselves in paradise, then we kind of jump over that very real sacrifice. Mm. Not to say that we we will never be rejoicing in the house of the Lord, um, but that it's going to be hard to get there, that we've got to actually work at it. Yeah, that the, the the comfort and the idyllic image of the manger is contrasted immediately with the martyrdom of Stephen. Yeah. Um, but there's a stark reality the church is trying to show us that, yeah. you know, this child, this baby in the manger in, you know, swaddling clothes will be the the cause of the rise and fall of nations, you know, yeah. and, and that's beautiful, you know, to think about, but it's also a challenge because I think most of us, probably are i mean maybe too influenced by the mainstream culture of mm-hmm. christmas where right where a lot of the it's all positive everything is positive and there's not a lot at stake right and we kind of i think we can kind of lose a little bit of the bite yeah. of this mystery of the incarnation is that there's a lot at stake here that you yeah, know that's a the good son of god it. became you know the son of god became man and he came to bring division in the sword too mm-hmm. not just peace on earth and goodwill towards men you know um and then there's, there's always sort of like, like hidden underneath the surface of the mystery of the incarnation and all of Advent is, it is apocalyptic. And it's also, you know, that he, he, you know, he is the king of martyrs. <laughs> so yeah. like, there's, that's all there, you know, and I think that I can shy away from that kind of preaching just because Christmas is such a happy family time that, mm-hmm. you know, who wants to be preaching about, you know, the rise and fall of nations when people are <laughs> celebrating, you know, the birth of the king. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there is a, w- there, there has to be a way, there has to be that we can help. Cause I just don't, I don't want to just play into that. Like, oh, yeah. it's all, um, you know, flowers and rainbows and unicorns. 
Like, no, there is that, as you said, that edge to it. That yeah. this this has a cost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we how do we preach that? Yeah, I think I think one of the ways uh, it's not in the liturgy itself, but I, I think one of the ways that and we're not at Christmas yet. You know, I think Advent we can do it because the readings are so eschatological, and you can emphasize you know the dimension of you know conversion, like you were saying. But when we get to the nativity itself, you can, there's a lot of imagery in the early church with, you know, the wood of the manger and the wood of the cross, mm-hmm. um, the blood of the circumcision and the blood of the cross. Like there's all these connections, you know, Jesus in the trough, which is the food for the animals. He's the food for us, you know, in the Eucharist, the oblation. So, I mean, there's a lot of imagery that connects the manger to the cross. Um, and so you can go that route. It's not explicitly in the readings. It's more sort of importing a little bit of the symbolism that comes from the early church. Um, that's one way. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, as we, in the next couple of weeks, as we approach Christmas, you and I can be, we can talk more about this and see how our homily might be affected for Christmas Day. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Cool, man. Any parting thoughts? Um, go pray. <laughs> go pray. Go to Mass. You know, reform your life. That's right. Go to confession. Do good. Avoid evil. That's all I got. <laughs> all right, dude. All right. Well, we'll talk all soon. Right. Cheers. Peace.